there are days where I get to work and I'm so fired up and excited about design and, it, and that's sort of contagious and I think people, it's exciting to be around somebody that's excited about the thing that they're doing and I'm not like that every day, but I just think naturally, like I love design and so I wanna share everything that I know with somebody else. Hi everyone and welcome to Making Ways, the podcast all about the unexpected paths to a creative career. I'm your host Rob Goodman, I'm an artist and a marketer, and on today's show we are live with Lara McCormick. We recorded the show live at General Assembly and I'm so excited for you guys to hear Lara's story. She has an amazing one to tell. She is the creative director at the Exploratorium, the amazing hands-on museum here in San Francisco. She's had an incredible career. She worked at the New York Times and Creative Live. She even started the design department at the New Hampshire Institute of Art and Design. She's a teacher, she's a mentor, and she's our guest today. You guys are going to hear great advice from Lara. She's going to talk about her experiences in school at SVA and Cooper Union's typography program. And it's a really fun, lively conversation. You're going to hear all the sounds of a live room, so you may hear some sirens outside or some people dropping their their pens or pencils. And it was a great conversation. I'm excited for you guys to hear it. So let's get started with Lara McCormick. Welcome to Making Ways. Give it up. Thanks for having me, Rob, and Making Ways podcast. Yeah, well, it's uh, it's it's a pleasure. Yeah, keep keep name dropping. So, for people who may not be in the know, why don't we start off and and tell us a little bit about the Exploratorium and what it's all about? So, the Exploratorium is a museum of art, science, and human perception. A lot of the exhibits are very hands-on, and. It was developed, or the Exploratorium came about in the 1960s as a response by Frank Oppenheimer to having worked on the atomic bomb at, in Livermore, at the Livermore Labs. Did you guys know this? No. Crazy rich history, very politically charged. Um, so it's nice to be there at this moment in time, which is often somewhat, also somewhat politically charged. Right, and what about your role there specifically as creative director? What does that entail in terms of your purview at the organization? A lot of meetings. <laughs> a lot of meetings and a lot of emails. And Design, a lot of, meetings. a lot of meetings. It's like a great, great bumper sticker. Um, so the piece about the Exploratorium that I should have added to that um, moment about how it was founded is that it was developed as a response to raise the awareness of the public that science is important and it matters and it's also accessible and everyone can be a scientist. And so I feel like my job is to shine a light on that and really elevate the content as much as possible and make it accessible and clear to visitors. And then I also do a lot of marketing stuff and a lot of pieces for donors. Uh, a lot of, we have a lot of galas to raise money, so I do a lot of that stuff. And then I also get to participate in exhibit design, and right now I'm doing the interface um, in a exhibit that's around cells. 
So wow. I get to learn and make simultaneously. That's awesome. So as the exhibits come and go, you have to become an expert in what it's all about alongside designing for it. I don't even become an expert. I just learn from the experts. Right. Yeah. And have you guys, have you guys all been to Exploratorium? A show of hands if you've, if you've been there. Many of you know that it's a, a magical place uh, to visit. It's a ton of fun. It's very hands-on. And my curiosity is, is it as magical a place to work as it is to go and visit as, uh, you know, as, a, as a guest? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's still a job, you know? Um, and I think a lot of people that work there now have worked there for a long time, and it's become much more than a job because the place is really special, and there's a lot of opportunity to make an impact when you work there. So that, that is a really interesting situation for me because I'm new, and a lot of the people that I've worked with, that I work with currently, have been there for 20 plus years. Um, and so it's, an interesting challenge to navigate that, but still respect it and respect that core mission that the Exploratorium started with and elevate that so that it matches what's happening today, but so still you, respecting the past, but looking towards the future. Right, so you have a lot of people in there who are super passionate about the organization, what's happening there, and you being new, maybe new ideas can be a challenge to to, to break through. Exactly. But everyone is united in the, in the passion for the mission, which is, which is great. Yeah. It doesn't always happen. The very first thing that I did when I got there was ask, you know, I was speaking in this language and people were sort of like, ah, you know. So how do I sort of recognize this new environment and assimilate, yet softly introduce the things that I'd like to see change? Yeah. So, um, before you were at Exploratorium, you spent three years at Creative Live, mm -hmm. which is a, a startup. I mean, it's more in the, the tech space, though it's oriented around creativity and learning. What was the shift that happened for you to want to go to a nonprofit? Because Exploratorium is, is a nonprofit, and you kind of left behind that, that kind of tech world. Yeah, I mean, I was working in tech, and it just felt a little dirty. I don't know if that's the right word. But there, you know, everything happening, I, I just really was gravitating towards wanting to do something different that was more meaningful. Because I think at the end of the day, if, if your job has meaning to you on that level, then it makes up for the silly meetings or the too many emails. Because you know at the end of the day, like the purpose of of what you're doing really matters. And so when I went from tech startup to nonprofit museum, I like I physically everything felt different. Like my brain, my body, like I had to slow down. I had a little <laughs> bit of PTSD. Like people were like, what is wrong with this woman? Because I was like, okay, we're gonna do that. You know, like I went in there like Rah! Um, and then I was You were like, on the treadmill running like three hundred like, miles per hour and they were because I was, I was also very used to like data-driven design. Everything I did at the tech startup was like, okay, well, like how many page visits or like what, what's the number of impressions? And at the Exploratorium, it's all funded by grants and donors. So they, the data is not 
part of the it's equation. It's not critical to the business. So like my, the language I was using, a lot of, like I just sort of had to make a, a very big shift. And do you think what's going on today, Lara and I were talking about this before the recording of the podcast, there's obviously a lot happening in our society and uh, in the world today. Do you think that people are, are thinking more about the impact that their jobs have on the community, on their neighbors, on the world, because of, of what the world is like today? I mean, I think some people are, because there's like different kinds of people, and I'm sure people in this room understand that. Like, there's the people that see what's happening in the world and they can't keep it separate, you know? And then there's other people that can keep that separation. I'm, I'm so interested in, in politics and culture and society and people that it all gets wrapped up, you know? And so I can't separate things as easily. And has that been a theme kind of throughout your career in the, in the choices that you've made? Or do you feel like it's more of a a recent kind of being in tune with yourself? It's always been like that. Like I grew up in Berkeley um, and I, I studied sociology for my undergraduate degree, which I initially picked because I needed to pick something, you know? <laughs> but then I realized like I love this stuff. Like I'm so interested in, in why groups are divided and why they come together. And, and I love talking to people from different backgrounds, and I think diversity is really important, you know, like all of those things. And part of that comes from growing up in Berkeley. Like, I literally thought that in my lifetime, everybody would be the same color, because we would all get together. You know, like that is just how I grew up. So I think coming out of Berkeley and going to UCLA, I was like, oh, wait, everything else isn't like that. Um, and then the Rodney King riots happened, you know, like, so. I was seeing this stuff go on around me, and I was watching the news, which is really dangerous, right? Because then you're like, this is real, and it's really big, and it's happening all the time. And so I feel like right now in my life, like what I felt during those riots, being right in the middle of Los Angeles, is sort of happening again internally for me. And I really have had to make a shift and slow down and switch jobs and detach from social media. and. Anything, you know, do lots of yoga. Yeah. No, I think it's amazing to try to incorporate those things into your, your day job. We spend so much time working. If what yeah. you do can kind of be core to your feeling of contributing in the world and making a positive impact to hopefully at some point, you know, over, overshadow the, the other side, I think that's, that's incredible. And I think sociology is a really interesting kind of background for a designer because so much of design is investigation. It's understanding different cultures about how pe people are going to view things. So um, I'm sure that kind of, maybe not intentionally, but was a bit of a, a foundation for what you would one day become. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because like I, I, when I chose my undergraduate major, I was like, oh, I know that I'm not going to be a social worker, you know? <laughs> but it proved later on to be helpful. So I think whatever you do, it lends itself to the next thing that you do. And so you're collecting your life experiences and it's informing you along the way and you're growing as a person. And it's so much better, I think, than if I had gone to design school straight out of high school, I, I would probably have a different approach to my work. Um, I might have gotten tired of it. Mm -hmm. Uh, who knows? But the sociology degree turned me on to something else and then pieced together with all my other experiences. And life is sort of like that. I'm always amazed at people, by the way, that are like, 
I know exactly what I want to do. I'm going to graduate from high school. I'm going to go to school for this thing. I'm going to do that thing. I'm going to make a lot of money. Maybe go to grad school for that thing. Right. And I'm always like, wow, but what if there's something else that you'd rather do? Yeah. And, and so you got this sociology degree at UCLA. And then what was your first job out of, out of school? We were talking about that you ended up going into design uh, after getting that degree by maybe happenstance? Yeah. Well, so I. I was kind of a hot mess in college. <laughs> and I was a waitress. And then I was like, oh, I just graduated. I have to get a real job. So I went to the job board in the student service center. And I ended up working at an entertainment company in Los Angeles. But they were responsible for throwing the parties for like the Oscars and stuff. So they just took a lot of money and did really fancy parties. Um, and I was hired as an admin person. But they were like, hey, can you do the newsletter? Or can you do this invitation? And I was like, yes, I can. Because you know? <laughs> there was a computer there. And prior to that, I was doing you know, party flyers by hand. And I would do the hand lettering and cut out things from magazines and paste them together and go to Kinko's and run them off. So it looked like this weird collage, yeah. but not done in Photoshop. So once and, the computers came and, along, you're like, oh, yeah. this is so much easier. And even like, I, and I was just like, I'm cool with Microsoft Word because there's wingdings and there's all these, you know, like there was this typeface called curls. Have you heard of this? C-U, yeah, C-U-R-L-Z. And I thought it was like amazing, you know? So I would do curls and then I'd do a curls bunch had, of- Curls had all the, like, the icons and the emblems and stuff like that. No, no? it's like a, a I'll, I'll have to show it to oh, you. Oh, okay, I can't wait to And then I would do a line curls. of wingdings and then some text and then more wingdings and then one really big wingding. You know, like, I was like, I'm a designer for sure. That's incredible. What a journey you have been on. I would love to see that. I'd love to see that kind of yesterday and today. Um, okay, but at a certain point, the, the wingding started to kind of fall, fall to the side and, and more design skills kind of emerged. And at what point did you then actually decide to go to grad school at SVA and, and get a design degree? So I was part of that first uh, dot-com boom. Uh, and I was a web designer. And so you couldn't go to school for web design, which was great, because I didn't. But I would self-teach through books. Linda Wyman's books were the only ones about how to design websites back then. And there weren't that many people doing it, and I was in San Francisco. So I was in that hot spot to be. I built a portfolio. I put it up with a link. I like, advertised myself on Craigslist instead of looking for a job. And I got so many responses right off the bat, which was super validating. Because this is right kind of in the beginning where websites were just emerging. You kind of figured it out from reading these books and then just, right. just post it away. And I think the reason why I stood out is because I had a design sensibility that I was applying to web design. And not a lot of people were doing that yet. So the colors were well thought through, the typography was nice, the hierarchy. So everything looked a little bit more designed, I think, than other candidates' portfolios might have. Yeah, and then, and then you, went to, you went to school there at SVA. I worked as an art director. I started teaching part-time. And then I was like, I can't teach without a design degree. You know, like people would be like, oh, where'd you go to school? I was like, UCLA, sociology, woo, yeah. and you're teaching us design? <laughs> And so I 
I was like, I'm ready to go to grad school. You know, like I went to grad school late in life, so I was 32, 33 when I decided to make the change, and I applied to SBA because their grad program is amazing, and it's the faculty is Stephen Heller, Stefan Sagmeister, Milton Glaser, all the people who whose work I had been studying. Um, I applied, I got in, I moved across the country, and I just treated it like a job. Like I was in school full time, soaking up every second of it. And typography has always been something that's been core to your work as a designer. You're the author of Playing with Type 50 Graphic Design Experiments. You just spoke at Adobe Max. She's an award-winning designer. And I'm curious when this kind of love affair with typography began. And I know after SVA, you actually went to Cooper Union and went through their typography course as well. So talk me through a little bit about type, because we were talking about this earlier. I think typography can be a little bit intimidating um, to, to kind of dive in and tackle. And I'm, I'm curious about your approach to, uh, to diving in. Yeah, I love type. How many people, in, can I do that on a podcast? Yeah, How many of you it. guys love typography? It's kind of a thing. Even when I teach it, people are like, oh, I love it now, because I, I love talking about it. Um, and I think I fell in love with it initially in high school when I would just doodle, you know, because I would pretend to be taking notes. And I, I sort of was like into graffiti, too, so I'm going to do like these intricate... Bubble work, letters and things like all that. All of that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, wild style. Um, <laughs> nice. And so, and, and then I would do it for the flyers that I was making. So yep. I was doing hand lettering and then with the curls. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> gotta um, have those curls. But then when I got into grad school, typography is the one thing that it's really difficult to self teach, I think. Right. Um, and so the very first project that I did in grad school was a poster, and it was one word, very large. It was Milton Glaser's class, and I didn't know that kerning was a thing. And kerning <laughs> is the space between pairs of letter forms. And if the font that you're using is not well designed, the kerning is off. And this is a cardinal sin for designers, poor kerning. And so every, all of my classmates were like, you know, on my back about the poor kerning, and I was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. You know, now I, I see it everywhere. Did you I, literally not know what kerning was, or you just didn't see anything wrong with your... I didn't know your... what it was. I had yeah. never heard the term, and right. I had been working as a designer already for like eight years. <laughs> so you were not enthusiastic about asking, what, what does this term mean that obviously I should know? Yeah. But I think it scarred me, and I was like, screw you, I'm going to learn everything I can about type, you know? <laughs> And uh, when I graduated from SVA, um, Cooper Union was offering a postgraduate degree in typography. And it was the first year that it was being offered. And I, I feel quite lucky because it was the first year, and I jumped at the opportunity to sign up. And now it's really hard to get in. Um, and Cooper Union, yeah. It's yeah. Pretty, uh, pretty, pretty tough. I applied to two art schools. That was one of them. And, uh, I went to Syracuse, which I, <laughs> which I love. It's a great but, school. You know, it's a great school, but you can, yeah. you know, kind of hiding the rejection in there. But uh, um, no, it's that's, also a very small community. So, like, we used to call the design group of rock stars the design mafia, because they're like the old timers and they're very tight knit. And once you get into that group or you work with that group, 
you can say like, hey, I think I might like to work at the New York Times, and they'll be like, great, I just called my friend and you have an interview there tomorrow at three. You know, like that kind of stuff. Like, Is that what happened after you got the Cooper Union degree that you went to the New York Times? Was it shortly thereafter? It was just before that. But that's, just before, okay. That's exactly how that happened. Yeah, I was like, I think I want to work at the New York Times. And Stephen Heller was like, I'll make the call. And then I went for an interview and I got the job. And I was like, this is crazy. Because of that community and, and network that you built and obviously the work that you were, you were doing, what was your experience like? I don't like? even know that my work was that good. <laughs> I, I just tried to be very present and engaged and helpful. That's yeah. great. I mean, that's great advice for, for people yeah. listening to, uh, you know, where you can kind of put it all in and, you know, let, let the skills kind of catch up when you're, yeah. when you're there. Yeah. Hey, everyone. I want to tell you about something you can do to help out making ways, and it won't cost you a dollar or a nickel or a hundred dollars. It's free, and it's leaving a review on iTunes. Leaving a review on iTunes is an amazing way for more people to discover the show. So if you like what you're hearing or if there's an episode that really resonated with you, write up a little note to us on iTunes, give us a five-star review, and let us know what you think of the show. Thanks so much, and now let's get back to the conversation. Let's rewind a little bit. So before you were at Creative Live, you were actually in New Hampshire at the New Hampshire Institute of Art. And you built the design program there as the design chair. So talk me through your leaving New York for the wilds of New Hampshire and what that, that experience was like and, and about your role there a little bit. And I, I feel like you had said you were teaching along all these times, yeah. but now you really kind of go all in and you're leading the whole the whole program. So talk, talk to me about that a little bit. So when I first, the, the first class that I taught, I was like, oh, I really like this. I really, it, I had that moment where I was like, this is my thing. I think I want to do this. And then New Hampshire, so the, the position at the New Hampshire Institute of Art allowed me the opportunity to fully explore becoming a full-time academic. And I don't like that at all. <laughs> but you love teaching, and you were just yeah. like, I absolutely love this. So you thought, you thought, let me test the waters and see if that's just what I want to do with my career, like ongoing. Sure, that sounds very thoughtful. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was more like, I'm tired of New York. I'm tired. And, and, then, and then it was like, I didn't look for the opportunity. It actually presented itself to me. Um, and, and this person said, hey, we're looking to start a graphic design program at our college, and we have no idea where to begin. Would you like to come and build the program for us? And, and we'll offer you this amount of money, which at the time was a lot of money. Yeah. And then I, in my head, I was like, wow, I, we could own a home <laughs> right, and get right. a dog and you know, have a family. And, and when we got there, first of all, I'm going to admit something very embarrassing. I thought New Hampshire was in Connecticut. I'm, like, I'm not from the East Coast, That's right? That's one so of I the funniest like, things I've ever heard. I was like, there's, right, because I was like, there's New York, and then there's all these other things right here. Like, oh, you so, mean New Hampshire, Connecticut? Right. Yeah, it's great. And so my husband's like, no. Um, but I visited and did the interview, and it was a really good opportunity. Um, and so... Yeah, yeah, how long were you there for, and what was it like to, to build the program? 
It was so cold. I have to say that <laughs> off the bat. Like I don't know. I, I don't know how people do it. Like you don't have to be that cold. Below zero, there was like three weeks where we, you know, school was closed. Like nobody left their house. What I'm, part of New Hampshire was this? It was the biggest city in New Hampshire, Manchester. Okay. It's just outside of Boston. Yeah. All of um, New Hampshire gets pretty cold in the winter, though. So. Yeah, it was brutal. I didn't realize how cold it was going to be. Um, but the job. Was, After you warmed up, yeah, the job yeah, itself. I had an office with a heater. <laughs> yeah, and, blankets. And it was, it was a great, great, great opportunity. Um, and I'm part of AIGA, which is an organization that stands for American Institute of Graphic Arts. Um, and I was on their education committee, so I knew a lot of educators. And graphic design education, I could just model it after what they were doing elsewhere and sort of pick the things that worked for the student body at the New Hampshire Institute of Art and mm -hmm. sort of make that happen. And then the students were really eager and lovely. Um, it was a bit of a culture shock. From New York to yeah. New Hampshire, so yeah. I, I don't think I realized what an extreme leap it was because you know I, I had been Berkeley, Los Angeles, New York, and then New Hampshire. <laughs> you Again, know? you're like running 300 miles per hour and you show up in New Hampshire and like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. Take it easy. <laughs> but it was, it was an interesting opportunity. Like I learned a lot, not only about education and whether or not I enjoyed doing that full time, but I also learned a lot about like, hey, there are parts of the United States that are different than what I'm used to. Sure. And what do you love about teaching? And how did you come to the decision that teaching kind of full time wasn't for you? What, what's, how did you settle on kind of the mix of working full time as a designer and, and creative director? And so I think in order to be a really effective teacher of design, you have to be working as a designer. And at SBA, all of the professors are working in the field. So nobody is a full time professor. And I, it, it didn't really click for me why. And so then when I was in New Hampshire, I had a really hard time finding instructors. Like I was teaching an insane number of classes because I was like, I'm gonna teach all of the typography classes, all of the portfolio classes, oh, and graphic design one and two. I and really, you weren't selling it, you're there freezing. You're like, come on out, it's great. And Boston great. was further away than I thought. Okay. And, and so, I think it's really important to be working in that industry and, t and teaching it in order to be an effective teacher, especially when you get higher up in the, the type of classes that you're teaching. So as you move into like the web design classes or the portfolio classes, you need to know what's happening in the industry right now because yep. it changes fast. Yeah. So I felt a little bit um, inauthentic not doing design but teaching it. It just didn't feel right. You felt disconnected from the practice. Yeah, and, and I was just like, oh, I want to be making stuff, not talking about making it. So next was returning back to the Bay Area and joining up with Creative Live. So how did that opportunity come about? Were you purposefully kind of looking for something back in the Bay Area, or was it another situation where it kind of landed on your, on your lap? So I definitely, after the first year, I was like, I think I'm ready to not live here anymore. Okay. Um, and I started looking, and I, I started looking at acad academia jobs. And it, it's like this hiring cycle is like, you know, before the fall semester starts and then maybe during the summer. So there's small windows, and there aren't a lot of full-time teaching positions. Um, so I was 
applying for those and not getting responses or not getting jobs. And I was just getting really scared because I started to feel like, I want to get out of New Hampshire, but I have to get a job before I can actually do that. Yeah. Because um, you wanted to go to places that were a little bit more expensive than New Hampshire. It just made sense to come back home. My family's here. Yep. Um, and then I was like, I just went on a crazy job search and it popped up in, on LinkedIn for me randomly. Like I had never heard of Creative Live, but I was like, wow, this is actually a tech company right. that specializes in creative education. And the role was for somebody to head up the design content. And so I, I felt like it was like custom made for me. Yeah, it's a mix of the yeah. teaching, it's in tech. And I think there's this allure of tech if you're not in tech and you don't live in San Francisco, right? So if you're outside of San Francisco, you're like, tech, San Francisco, how, ooh. So I applied for the job at Creative Live and they were very slow in getting back to me, but I was persistent. Yeah, yeah. And I got the job. Yeah. That's awesome. And that brought you back out here. Yes. So relieved. I yeah. love the Bay Area. It's the best place to live. It is super expensive. Yes, but it's a lot warmer than New Hampshire. Yeah. No, no snow to worry about. You're warmed up. Um, I'm curious about the kind of evolution of your career, because you're a designer now. You're, as you put it, a relationship manager. And Lara and I were talking about this time she spends really as a strategist, thinking about design infrastructure at organizations within brands. And looking back on your career, do you think, kind of as you were plotting it out, you would land where you've, where you've landed and, and kind of the, the purview and responsibilities have, have changed and grown? And what do you think kind of 10 years ago, 20 years ago, Lara would be, would be saying to, to you today? So I like how you use the word plan. I don't plan. I, like, I don't really plan. I just sort of keep my eyes open, and I try to listen to my heart. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so, but, the, yeah, there, there, was no, there was no specific trajectory that you had in mind. You know, a lot of designers might think about, all right, junior designer, designer, art director, creative director, all these things kind of move up. Yeah. That, that kind of stuff, it was, it was not about that for you. It was more about what's the good opportunity, what's going to feel right, where do I want to be? Exactly. I was, I was more driven to, like, where's the place that I want to work than what is the title that I want at that place. But now, when I, when I got my most recent job, I did negotiate for the title because I realized where I was at in my career, and so it became more important to have the title that I felt was the next title for me. You know, and just being aware of that, like it's all part of the journey. Yeah. Like I, that wouldn't have been on my radar before, um, and so I have no way of planning for that if I don't know that it's a thing. Um, like somebody asked me earlier about like what's the next thing in technology, and I'm like, I have no idea. It's probably something that we can't even fathom. Like, I don't know what's going to be next for me. Yeah. But the the job that I'm in now makes sense, I think, because I manage a team. And so that brings that teaching component into it, that mentor component, where I get to work with people and personalities. Um, the strategy stuff just makes sense because of where I'm at in my career. So yeah. even though I'm not hands-on making things anymore as much as I'd like to, I mean, I can do that in my free time. but. Really, when I go to work, I feel like my job is to support my team and make sure that 
their path is cleared so that they can do the, their best work possible. Yeah, and what about that kind of teaching style approach to management? How does that, how does that live out in kind of the day-to-day -day of your, your work with the team? Is it just a lot of mentoring, a lot of kind of training and then letting go? What's, what's that balance like? I don't even think I do it consciously. Like there are days where I get to work and I'm so fired up and excited about design and, it, and that's sort of contagious. And I think people, it's exciting to be around somebody that's excited about the thing that they're doing. And I'm not like that every day, but I just think naturally, like I love design. And so I want to share everything that I know with somebody else. And it's a very informal exchange and it's never something like, let me show you how to do this thing. It's more like, this is awesome, check this out, or try this, or go here and look at this, and have you done this, and what about this? You know, it's more like that kind of back and forth. Yeah. Um, although I have really had to structure formal workshops where, hey guys, let's make sure we're all on the same page. We're setting up our files this way. We're doing our naming structure this way. Right. Um, That's where that infrastructure kind of work yeah. comes into play to organize the design of the department and, yeah. and the organization. And how about advice for people who are maybe early on in their design careers or maybe they've kind of hit a lull or kind of low spot in the middle of their careers. Maybe that kind of passion that you talk about trying to bring every day or every other day or however many days a week, you know, the passion and fire is there. What would you, what kind of advice would you give to people who are, are kind of just feeling that stuckness of middle career or kind of in the beginning, like, what, what should I be doing? <laughs> kind of losing the plot. I love asking for help. I think it's so important. Like, ask for help. Ask for what you need. Like, if you're stuck, if you're confused, um, go to events, start talking about what's happening in your life with other people, and you'll find a connection because it's probably happening for them as well. Um, because it's really confusing, like trying to figure out what you want to do work-wise with your career. But everybody's confused about everything all the time. You know? And if you say it out loud, it's not as powerful. Um, and that's why I like teaching. It's always amazing to me, like you're paying to come and get taught. So you should come up and ask me for more stuff if you're not getting what you need. You know? And if I can't give it to you, then I'll say I can't. But if you never ask, you'll never know. And I, and I think that. Once I started realizing that that was a thing, that I could ask people for help, people helped me. And, right. and then when, now when somebody asks me for help, I'm always like, of course. I'll right. help anybody that asks me because I asked so many people and they helped me. Yeah, absolutely. I've had the, the same experience and I think that's incredible advice, whether there's a teacher in your life or just your friends or, or colleagues. Or this, mentor. Like yeah. Finding a mentor is really big right now. And, um, you don't have to say, will you be my mentor? But right. you could start with somebody that you are interested or you know, maybe you want what they have. Or yeah. how did they get to where they are? Yeah, absolutely. And I love the idea of just getting out of your head as the first step. Just leave that space and put it out into the world and start bouncing mm -hmm. ideas off of people. And yeah. I often find that you can get to an answer so much more quickly by doing those things. And it's hard because I, it's so tempting to sit comfortably in front of your computer behind the screen and do the research. And, but it's a totally different thing when you leave your house and you go to a coffee shop and you talk to somebody and yeah. It can also be scary and vulnerable to say, I'm having this problem mm -hmm. or I can't figure this out. You know, that, that's not always the, 
facade that we want to show in front of colleagues or, or friends. But I think you know, the second that you do that, you're rewarded with what you get back from people. Because everybody's like, I'm crazy too. You know? <laughs> I'm just pretending while I'm at work. We could be crazy together. Lara, thank you so much for joining the show. Let's give it up for Lara McCormick. Wow. Thank, thank you. you. Okay, that was my conversation with Lara McCormick. I am so glad you guys tuned in. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. It was such a fun evening at General Assembly to record this episode live. And thanks to you guys for listening. Check out makingways.co and you can learn all about Lara. Check out her experience. Look at the show notes and so much more. Making Ways is engineered by Jim Heffernan at TTO Productions. Our intro music is by The Sandworms, and we've got some music by Jim Heffernan in the mix, too. Don't forget to leave a review on iTunes if you're enjoying the show. Thanks so much for listening, everyone, and I'll see you soon.